we live in a, a culture, church, in a day and age to where people will tell you that truth is, is relative. That there is no absolute right or wrong. That sin is relative based upon what culture and society you live in, based upon the day and age you live. What was wrong uh, 40 years ago may not be wrong today. We live in this culture where people will say, follow your heart because your heart will not lie to you. Trust in your instincts. Trust what's inside of you. Follow that because, because that is where you find truth. Church, I'm here to tell you today and I'm going to start off this series. Very, This is a foundational message to kind of build on over the next several weeks. That there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We live in a culture where everybody's making their own way. They're doing their own thing. They agree and disagree on different things. People will fight within churches over the Word of God and choose their path based upon what they want to believe in it and what they don't want to believe in it. And the problem is, is it's producing within people just deception. It's an absolute deception. And people are lost. I heard uh, just recently, it's been about three, four weeks ago, I heard in a, uh, a television news situation um, where somebody said, you know, people seem to have lost their moral compass. And I, and I thought to myself, a moral compass, what in the world would a moral compass be? The compass I have isn't a moral compass. It's more of a cheap little plastic compass that doesn't work very well. When April and I were um, dating, and, and uh, I was 18 years old, and, and uh, she was 18 years old, and she's not changed, and I have a little bit. We, we loved uh, convention, we loved camp, and, and, um, and we decided, we, even though we were out of school and I was working, we couldn't go to convention with the youth group, and, <clears throat> but we wanted to go, so we, we left, she and I, I got off work, and she uh, got off out of school, and we headed off and, and took off to, to go to Anderson, Indiana, to convention, that's where they used to have it. We couldn't have it there anymore, we wouldn't be able to contain everybody, but, but we would go there, and we went to service, and uh, she and I and Kristen Manley, she rode up with us, and, and uh, Kristen was in the back seat, and me and April in the front, obviously, and because and, uh, Kristen's not as important as my wife. But <laughs> So we go to the service, and there's a good service, and, and uh, I don't know what happened, but I, I know that she and I left arguing. Hard to believe, isn't it? How could, right now, everybody's forming this opinion in their head of, how could anyone disagree with April? Trust me, I can. I do it really, really well. Uh, and, and needless to say, the argument has started. I'm sure Kristen was pretty uncomfortable in the back seat. And um, so I, I get to 69, and for some reason in my head, I remembered coming back to the, to the motel with Pastor Steve and looking out the right side of the window and pulling off of that road and going to the Holiday Inn right there. I just remembered it being on my right. So I knew that when I left, it would be on my left. And we were arguing and fighting, so in my mind, I'm processing this, and I go to the road, and I take a left, and I go on 69 North to come home. And April sits next to me, and she goes, it's the wrong way, Bob. I said, listen, you're the one that's always got your directions messed up. <laughs> Trust me, I know what I'm doing. She said, but the sign said, I said, you read it wrong. 
Now, I was 18 young and immature back then. <laughs> so I drove, and I drove, and I drove, and I drove some more in a silent car with a very uncomfortable Kristen Manley in the back seat. <laughs> and as I drove, I kept thinking Indianapolis ought to be here at some point. And then I saw it, a sign, a sign that said Fort Wayne. 15 miles. <laughs> and here come an exit. And I thought, I have a decision to make. Do I just lie to her and keep on going or make a, like, pull into a gas station and actually act like I have to use the restroom and then hope to get back going the other direction? Or... <laughs> and I had to humble myself and say, I was wrong. I'm going the wrong direction. I tried to tell you you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> You say, why would you share that story? Well, that year for Christmas, my, my uh, wife's lovely family, um, I received maps of Indiana. <laughs> I received dash mount compasses. And I don't know if multiple compasses, if it's compasses or compi or what. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but I had all those things, and it was because everybody told me I, was, I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. Church... This morning, we, have, we live in a society where people don't know where they're going and what they're doing. And they live in a society where they've lost their moral compass. They don't believe there's a foundational truth. They don't think in their signs, hitting them in the face. And this is the mentality. This is how they handle it. God will give them a sign to show them that they're headed the wrong direction. And they'll ignore it. They'll explain it away. They'll rationalize it away, and then they'll start teaching people that that sign's not really there. And if they can convince enough people that that sign's not really there, then nobody knows that that sign's there, and now we've just created a new truth. But I'm going to tell you this morning, there's not a new truth. The sign's still there, and it's telling you you're going the wrong direction. People try to rationalize away God. See, He's placed a moral compass within us. And that moral compass is guided by one thing and one thing only. It's the Word of God. Amen. And that's it. And the problem is, is we live in a society and a culture where people ignore this. People will tell you that this is old-time literature that has nothing for today. You say, why are you doing this? Well, a couple weeks ago, well, it's been about a month ago, I received in the mail in Richmond Magazine, all, all uh, credentialed ministers in the assemblies get this magazine. And in this article, it showed me all these things that I could not believe. Barna took a survey, 49%, one away from 50%, folks, of people that proclaim to be born-again Christians, believers, people that sit in pews every Sunday, just like ourselves here, 49% see nothing wrong with living together prior to marriage. 49%. That's almost half. We've lost our moral compass, folks. Well, Pastor Bob, you're judgmental. Listen, my friends, I'm going to offend you today. And I'm going to offend you next week. And I'm going to offend you the week after that and the week after that. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Because I heard these statistics. You want to hear some more? 35% see nothing wrong with premarital sex. What confuses me is, is 49 to 35, 14% people apparently think that living together, there's no sexual involvement. 
28% of born-again believers don't believe that there's anything wrong with pornography. Isn't that hard to believe? Isn't it obvious where people have been preaching from the pulpit? We've come out so hard against pornography that everybody understands, well, that's wrong. There's 28, only 28%. But 49% don't mind living together? of born-again Christians condone and support abortion. Well, Pastor Bob, what if the woman's... Listen to me, my friends. If the woman's raped, I'm sorry that sin and evil has come into her life and caused that. But that child, that baby was made by God. It was knit together in its mama's womb. And you, a believer in Jesus Christ, don't have enough faith in God to think that He can take that life and make something of it. And you want it to die? You're going to encourage murder? Have you ignored the scripture that says that God hates hands that shed innocent blood? We're going to be hitting all those topics in the weeks to come. You can get offended. You can say, I'm leaving this church. I'm going somewhere where they preach warm and fuzzy. Okay, you can do that. But listen to me. Can you deny the truth that's spoken to you from this word? You see, a compass works upon a standard of gravity, gravitational pull, magnetic field from the north to the south pole that runs through the center of the earth. It's been there from day one. God set it up. God established it. And some people, it's deep in science, will say, well, it does move and adjust a little bit, Pastor. But listen, we're not going to all that. The fact of the matter is, is there's a north, there's a south, and that if we use this, we can find our way. And there's a God that set a standard, and if we will use this, we will find our way. And we will not get to the end and look back and say, oh, I was wrong, because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. So we can't just pursue our own desires. We can't just pursue our own thoughts and our own wants and the things that we like and the things we don't like. We cannot take apart the Word of God and like certain things and and throw out certain things. My friends, it is time for us to go back to the Word of God and to live by it. Listen to something else Barna says. And this is why, this is why God has spoke this message to my heart. Even most people associated with the Christian faith do not seem to have embraced biblical moral standards, and they are not likely to get better unless strong and appealing moral leadership emerges to challenge and redirect people's thoughts and behavior at that moment. At that moment, such leadership is absent. Not in this church. I'm telling you, leadership is not absent when it comes to moral issues in this church. I will call them out because they have to. And here's why. Here's why. Because if that number, that 49%, that 35%, that 33%, that 28% represent the church as a whole, then we have a certain amount of those percentages in our church. And I'm burdened by God. I don't want you to make your own path and someday stand before God and realize it was wrong. And I don't want to have to answer to God for your path and find out that I was the one that led you astray. My friends, God is a God that is holy. And this word is truth. And over the next multiple weeks, I don't even know how many weeks I'm going, I guess as many topics as God brings upon my heart, we're going to be talking about. But we're going to fillet those topics with the word of God and we're going to look at truth. We cannot deny the truth. Amen? See, this problem has come about because of preachers that are afraid to address it. They've fallen into the sin of Saul. They build a kingdom of themselves. They, they, they like 
you know, the, their accomplishments. They build a monument to themselves. Then they rationalize away their sin. And they say, well, I just want to bring this sacrifice to God. They build their churches. They rationalize why they won't say certain things because they're afraid the people will not honor them. And so they don't say it. And so they're condemned. And the Spirit of God is, just like with Saul, sucked out of all of it. You say, well, why, why are you being so harsh about this? Well, it's not just the preachers, it's us too. I mean, let's be real. Why is it the preachers get afraid of preaching hard things? Because of us. Because we don't want to accept the truth. Because we've taken the, the, the stance on society that says, my God wouldn't do this. My grandfather said, my, listen to me, I heard something this last week. I turn on the radio, is, 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 uh, is it Nate Evans? Is he a preacher? Not Nate Evans. What's Evans? He's a preacher, black preacher. Nate Evans was the guy. He used to be the superintendent. Don't follow Nate Evans. <laughs> this guy, what is that guy's name? Black guy. Tony Evans. Big difference. But anyway, I heard him on the radio. That tells you how much I listen to him. But I change the stations. I come across and he's talking about the Word of God and how the Word of God is spoken. And there's power in God's words. And what the enemy wants you to say is, well, I don't believe that because my grandfather said, or my mom said, or my uncle said, or my mom did this, or my dad said this. I don't believe God would do this because of what my grand... Listen, Satan would love no more than for you to start proclaiming what your mom said, or your grandfather said, or set a standard to what they said, because when you start saying what God said, there's power in it. God said something, folks. He gave us the word to go by. And in this church, we're going to find what our true, our true north is. We're going to find out what the standard is. This morning, two different top, two points. Number one, why are those that claim to be Christians so confused morally? Number one, the authority of the word is no longer enough. For any compass church to work, it's got to be tapped into the standard. And if the standard is gone, the compass is useless. In our lives, if we are not tapped into the standard of the Word, then I don't care what you believe, it's useless. If it's not based upon... Right now, people are offended. Praise God. If it's not tapped into this, whatever you believe, sir, ma'am, young one, old one, I don't care who you are, you may stand here and point at my face and say, my God this and my God that. Be careful saying my God because my God would or would not do this. You and I don't fully understand God. And when we start adjusting and twisting God to fit what we want, we have broken the second commandment. We fashioned unto ourselves an idol. We fashioned unto ourselves a God that fits what we want. We've got to be cautious and worship the God that is rather than the God we want. And people, can, can, they just mess it up. Listen to this, Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. We believe it. We sing about it. Second Timothy 3.16, we share this all the time. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's there and people will say it and Christians will say it, but are we doing it? Are we looking at the Word of God and seeing who we are and allowing it to affect our lives day by day, minute by minute, our decisions to be made? You know what happened to me yesterday at the softball game? Other than getting it inside the park home room. 
we had a play at first. The guy was left-handed. Last time he'd hit it right down my line, so I backed up so I could get my fat, slow legs to it. So I'm backed away from the base, and he hits it to John at pitcher's mound. And I start running to the base, and I'm thinking John's going to run, and John's getting ready to throw it. So I run harder to catch it, and when I, he throws the ball, I, I, I mess my feet up, and I look, and I miss the base. And the guy steps on it. The umpire goes, out! And the guy that was running to first base starts screaming. You gotta be kidding me! Well, the poor umpire's behind home plate trying to see everything on the field. It's not gonna happen. So I let him scream for a second. I said, ho, 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 gentlemen, I missed the base. I missed, I missed the base. I didn't, I didn't touch it. And the guy stops. I said, get back on there. I missed it. It's all right. Hey, we got another out. Guys, it's okay. No harm. It's fine. And the other guy comes out of the dugout. I said, guys, we're fine. We'll take it. I said, no, what? No, no. It's a church league. Let's be honest here. I missed the base. He's safe. Let's play ball. Let's go. So we played ball. And you know, there were like three different guys that come up after the game and said, hey, man, thanks for being honest. Are you really that shocked that people aren't honest? It's a church league. I figure if anybody's going to be honest, you should be honest in a church league. Somebody said, did you tell them you're the pastor? I said, it doesn't matter if I'm the pastor. We should all be honest. There is no situation. Some people say, well, you don't have to be honest. The umpire called it and you'll just stick with it. No. Be honest. But we adjust everything. The word of God is a lamp under my feet. It doesn't say to, to lie only some of the time. or it, We're not to lie, Amen. It doesn't say that sexual immorality is wrong sometimes. It's wrong. And we could go through the whole list, and we can't rationalize it away. We can't say, well, uh, it's a light and a lamp to my feet, you know, only some of the time. But if I don't feel like it, bless God, it's not going to be. If you want to choose to ignore the signs, if you want to choose to take your own path, and you want to choose to deceive yourself about the truth in this life, Go ahead and do it. God has given you that free will. He has placed within you and I a natural craving for a God. You can go to any, any society in this world and you're going to find some kind of a God worship. You're going to find these things. You're going to find worship of a God. You're going to find marriage. And you're going to find blood sacrifice in every culture in America. And you say, why? Read Genesis chapter 3. You'll understand. Because it was there in the beginning. Marriage, a God, and there was also sacrifice. Well, why are you saying that to me? Because the people take that and they go a different direction. Instead of referring back to the Word of God, they make their own path. And they're deceived. If you turn with me to 2 Kings... Chapter 22, we need an awakening. We need an awakening like in Josiah's day. Judah was in a situation here where they'd followed two very evil kings. Manasseh was Josiah's grandfather and Ammon his father were evil kings. Manasseh established and did a lot of wicked things. 
In Manasseh's day, they began to sacrifice children to Molech. They would worship other gods in God's temple. They had an Asherah pole in God's temple. They worshipped Baal in God's temple. And so Manasseh died and then Ammon came on and then somebody decided to assassinate Ammon so that they could make his eight-year-old son Josiah the king. Now you tell me if that's not a messed up culture and society. Why would somebody want an eight-year-old king? Probably somebody that's not a part of the bloodline that wants to run things, don't you think? So Josiah is thrown into this kingship at eight years old and, and for 18 years everything goes on as it had before exactly like with his father and his grandfather. Everything continued. The worship in the, in the temple having male prostitutes living in the temple. Worshiping Baal and, and Ashtaroth. Listen my friends, those things, those fertility gods, that worship also included not only having sex with the, the male prostitutes or the women at the temple, it also included having sex with the sacrifices and then sacrificing to those gods. Bestiality. It doesn't get any more profane and perverse than that in Josiah's day. But what happened was Josiah, he, he decides to work on the temple. Look at verse 4 of 22. Go up to Hilkiah the high priest and make him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Make them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple and make these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. Stop right there for just a second. Let's see if we can see our culture. They go to get the money so that they can fix up the temple. They were in a very spiritual society, polytheistic, began to worship multiple gods. They said they served Jehovah God, but yet they intermingled their worship with the other gods. They had compromised all these things, but there's something in Josiah that at least was spiritual enough to say, you know what, let's fix up the building. But the problem was, is they didn't just need to have the walls repaired, and they didn't just need to have the hinges to stop squeaking, and they didn't just need to have things painted. The problem was, is the temple needed repair, but it wasn't just the structure. It was the activity needed to be cleansed out of the temple. And you say, why do you bring that up? Because there are places all over the world, in, especially in America, that are looking for a move of God. And how do we do it? We've got to fix up our sanctuary. We've got to put the lights up. We've got to put up the smoke. We've got to do all the new multimedia stuff. We've got to have this great big production. You know what? We need to improve our church. Let's make the production better. Let's take our money and throw it into production. Now, before you get too far, trust me, I think it's okay to build up and fix up the temple. I would plan and love to have something done in this building by the next year, okay? There's some work that needs to be done. It's got to be done. But that is not the answer. That is not the answer for lost and dying souls. But we live in a culture that says, let's do all this other stuff to attract people in and make it nice and make it wonderful when the reality of it is, is all they're doing is painting on thick makeup to make a corpse look like it's alive. Our pastors have become morticians. Embracing and keeping the dead warm and cold and happy. People that need Jesus Christ that walk in and out of the doors of a church on every Sunday that have never had an opportunity to repent of their sins. You say, Pastor Bob, this is harsh. Yeah, because it's serious. It's a heaven and hell issue. 
Because there's a way that seems right to a man. In the end, it leads to death. And what tells me is, is that if we choose our own way, there's got to be a way to life. What is the way to life? It's through Jesus Christ. And that's only going to be found in the Word of God. And we have churches that will not preach it because they don't want to offend anybody. So Josiah said, let's fix up the temple. And as they went in to do some work, verse 10, Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Hakim son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and acquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. When I hear 49%, when I hear 35 and 28 and 33%, I have to think great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. My heart breaks, church. It may not be fun. It may not draw us all into deep laughter, but according to Hebrews chapter 4, the Word of God is living and active. Its intention and its purpose is to divide. Its intention and purpose is to, to divide and separate our, what our plans are, what our motives are. And it's always going to bring us to a place of covenant with Christ. And if people are not preaching the Word of God, the Word of God, our society says it's not enough and they want everything else. You break things down. Listen, church, and think about this really hard. You break things down and you remove all the stuff of church and you just open it up to a simple time of opening up the Word and discussing it. And you tell me if people will show up. The overwhelming majority will not. It grieves my heart. Because in America, we've fallen in love with the production of church. And we've lost a love for the Word. You're awful quiet today. You say, well, Pastor Bob, this is really harsh. You seem really angry today. Listen to me, my friends. If you're a shepherd and you have sheep, and you see a lion getting ready to attack those sheep, would you just sit back and be happy and tell them everything's okay? We live in a culture where the lion is seeking whom he may devour. But thank God we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. So that when one lion roars in the wilderness and every other animal gets quiet and everything gets afraid, there's only one other animal that's going to roar too, and that's a lion. And praise God we serve the strongest of all of them. Friends, I only speak these words today not in condemnation, but as a caution. Let's see what happened. Josiah, after he finds the word, we know this, my friends, that any time that the ministry, a pastor, a priest has done church and forgotten about the word of God, and they go into the temple and they, oh, they stumble across a book, they couldn't even say what it was, go read this book, and number one, you're going to be in a polytheistic nation because that nation is going to serve many gods because there's no longer a standard. 
And when preachers aren't preaching it from the pulpit, it's not going to be clear. And number two thing that's going to happen is, is when you finally open it up and read it, somebody's going to have to come to grips with the sign that just passed them on the road and say, am I going to make a decision just to keep going this direction and hope that it all works out okay? Or am I going to stop and humble myself and recognize and realize, wow, I've been doing this wrong and I'm going to have to go back the direction I came. You mean, Pastor Bob, I've got a PhD and everything I've been taught is wrong? That's a hard place to be, my friends. If it defies this book, it's wrong. It's wrong. See what happens. Verse chapter 23. The king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Now stop for a second. It's one thing to pledge ourselves to the covenant. It's another thing to actually follow it through with action. If a person is genuinely saved, if a person has come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ, discipleship will happen because they'll get in the Word. And there will be a change. There's an expected change in our lives when we come to Christ. There's got to be a cleaning up. Amen? God's going to clean it up. Are you, are you preaching perfection? Absolutely not. I'm not perfect. Come live in my home for about four or five hours. You'll see I'm not perfect. But I got a heart to serve God. And I've got a heart to please God. And He's teaching me and growing me every day. My friend, if you say you've had a salvation experience and there's no love or passion for God inside of you, there's a problem. As I said, He put that craving in us. Just as a bird would have that natural instinct to build a nest, there's a natural instinct in you to serve a God. Just as a bee would have that natural instinct within it to be able to build a hive and to make honey and reproduce and all that stuff, there's a natural instinct in you that God has placed a passion in you, a faith to put into something. Where are you putting it? Let's see where Josiah put it. Let's look and see if his actions were true or if he just simply made some kind of a public response here and then just went on about his day. Verse 4. It's quite a bit of reading here. I won't read all of it, but you'll get the idea. The king ordered Hilkiah the priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. Immediately after his covenant, immediately, he cleaned out the gods. He got rid of them. Do you, do you know what an Asherah pole is? I know we're all adults here. Next week I'm going to be talking about sexual immorality. Trust me, you'll blush, but I'm going to tell you the truth. An Asherah pole is believed to have been, in some cases has been made clear to be, where it is actually a carving of a wooden statue of male genitalia anatomy. Sitting in God's holy temple. You tell me, in America, are we serving the God of Asherah? We come to church and we worship 
Jehovah God, but then 49% of us think it's okay just to live together. You're serving the God of Asherah. Verse 5, He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon, the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley, scattered the dust over the graves outside of Jerusalem, burned it there. He ground into powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes which were in the temple of the Lord and where women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the shrines at the gates at the entrance to the, to the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so on and so forth. Friends, we could go through this whole thing over and over and over to see this huge list of everything that he destroyed. My point is very simple, and it is this. You, you and I need to start destroying some strongholds in our lives. There's no reason why the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ, should think that 49% of us should think it's okay to live together and to be in sexual relations prior to marriage. There's no reason why we should ever think that 33% of us can throw our babies into the arms of Molech and kill them through abortion. It's the same thing. God bless us. Bless us, God. Bless us, God. God bless us. He's saying, you know what? You need to repent. And you need to do something about all this trash you've got in your life and fix that. We've got to, church. It... I know some of you are going to leave and say, I'm never going to that church again. That man's a crazy man. He's a crazy man. The thing about Josiah, you say, Pastor Bob, this is so off in, in, in conflict with our society and culture. Man, I am so far behind. It is, and I'm telling you, do you think Josiah didn't face some conflict? For two generations, that was the, that was the norm. How many generations has, has this whole sex craze been going on? You mean to tell me to have kids and adults that would live pure lives before other people? Is that going to bring some conflict into your life? Yes! But it's a whole lot better than the eternity apart from Christ. We've got to stop. We've got to get over ourselves and move forward in, in holiness. Secondly and quickly, I'll make this really quick. Why are those that claim to be Christians confused morally? Secondly, because we love spirituality apart from God in America. Here's what blows my mind. People will make fun of us for being Pentecostal. Well, you're one of them tongue-talking churches, aren't you? One of the people that thinks people can prophesy and speak the Word of God. And then, after they mouth about us, they go look at horoscopes. And then they consult mediums. And their life and everything that they are in entertainment is stuck with spiritual activity and demonic things. Right now, today, the, the highest grossing movie two weeks out right now is Harry Potter. Hello, I'm Harry Potter. I'm a little skinny boy with round glasses. I'm special. Are you? I, 
Harry Potter, I'm so sick of hearing about Harry Potter. You know what? When I bring it up, and right now, people are offended in the church. How dare you say anything about Harry Potter? Harry Potter is just make-believe. It's all fantasy. Listen, my friends, you've never set a cross from a teenage girl looking you in the eye and say, Pastor Bob, I'm done praying. I'm done with God because I've asked him to help me and he's not delivered me from my problem. I was doing better when I was doing the incantations and all the spells. I'm going back to that. You never had that happen to you. You've never had a teenage kid that's been influenced by all this nonsense sit there and tell me how wonderful all of it is and that the God I serve is weak and stupid and pathetic. Pastor Bob, it's just make-believe. That's the lie that Hollywood has told you and you've bought into, Mom and Dad. You're raising your kids up in nonsense. It's just truth. Well... Don't ever, oh, here's the other mistake, number two mistake you make as a youth pastor. Don't ever speak against vampires. <laughs> Dear God, don't speak against vampires. Well, that's just all make-believing. <laughs> vampires and werewolves. Listen, it all started with, with Dracula way back in the way back when it was written. Was it Nam's, what, I don't remember what his name is. But he wrote, he wrote it all down deep into Satanism. All of it. You tell me, somebody that comes and drinks blood, when, when our God of, 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 of the Jews, the God we serve, held blood as something that you were supposed to be treating very sacred. I mean, it's just nonsense. It's crazy. You say, what's your point? There's a spirituality to it, folks. There's an itch there. You tell me there's no spirituality. Then why do vampires go, and things fly across the room? Witchcraft is just, a, it's just make-believe in Hollywood, Pastor Bob. It's not... It's not, and there's a level of power to it. But my God's more powerful. I had somebody say, Pastor Bob, are you afraid to speak out on that stuff? Somebody might put a spell or a hex on you. I said, let them do it. Let them do it. I'm rubber, you glue. Anything you throw at me is going to bounce off me and stick to you. That's what I said. You want to hex me? Go ahead and hex yourself because it's going to bounce off. And I serve Jesus. It's true. People call us crazy. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do spiritual things in your name? Did we not have, Lord, didn't I roll around and bark like a dog and spit and shake? Listen, my friends, we live in a culture that, that makes fun of us for being Pentecostal, but there are churches and there are places right now having service right now that don't care if the Word's ever preached and whatever manifests that itself in that service, even if it doesn't line up with this, even though it's not lined up in true north and you can't find evidence of the Spirit moving in that way in the Word of God, they'll accept it as the move of God, they'll accept it as the Spirit of God, and they'll say this is the Spirit of God, and the Word of God will never be spoken in that service. We love spirituality without Christ. We did all these spiritual things, Lord. We drive out demons, perform miracles. And I'll tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who ever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers. If Amber would come, just simply this morning to close this out. You have two homes being built. You have two houses being built. You have two faiths being built. You have two religions being built. One was built on the rock. A standard that was not moving. A standard that didn't shift from day to day. A standard that no matter how old it was, wasn't going to move. It wasn't shifted from 20 years ago. It wasn't shifted from 100 years ago. It's in the same spot today, yesterday, and forever. And when that house was set on it, it did not move. It didn't matter what come against it. It was going to stand. Then you had guy number two who had a plan. He thought, everything I do, I'm going to do it however I want. He ignored the laws of construction. He ignored what, what is obviously common sense if anybody's ever built a home. And he says, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do like Frankie did it. I'm going to do it my way. And he, he took his own path. There's a way that seems right to a man and in the end leads to death. And he says, you know what, I'm going to build my faith. I'm going to have a spirituality without the rock. Get this this morning, church. I'm going to have a spirituality without the rock. Because, see, the rock is too demanding. The rock means I've got to stay to a standard. But if I'm on sand, then I can shift to what I want and what I don't want. I can go over here. If I want a little bit of sexual morality, I can do that because I'm on sand. And it doesn't matter. I have faith. My faith is okay. I love God. But, but I don't want to stick to that standard. So I'm going to come over here and draw. Listen to me, my friends. The end is very clear in that scripture what's going to happen. For people that say, I'm going to do spiritual things and not know Christ. They're going to be rejected. You say, well, they wouldn't reject. God wouldn't reject. People are ignorant. They, do it, they did it innocently. No. We do it intentionally, folks. We read parts of the scripture that we like and the parts we don't like, we throw out. And there are certain new versions of the Bible, you don't have to throw them out, they've thrown them out for you. It's very true, folks. You say, well, where'd all this come from? 1904, a gentleman by the name of Aleister Crowley. Does anybody know who Aleister Crowley is? If you've been connected at all or had to deal with anybody in the Wiccan movement or in any kind of the occult movement whatsoever, you know who Aleister Crowley is. Just to share you a little story, how he decided that he was the prophet of the great last eon in the world. Even though the message is not new, it's the same message that was taught in the Garden of Eden by the serpent. Aleister Crowley was an occultist that prayed and sought a lot of ancient gods and would cry out to many gods. Why? Because there was a natural craving there. Amen? He misplaced it, a misplaced affection to these other false gods, and his rebellion drove him away from Jehovah God. So he chased after these things. His wife, eight months pregnant, delusional there in Egypt, and she begins to hear voices. And the voices are telling her to tell her husband to say, they're waiting for you. But she didn't know who they were, just they were waiting for you. So he goes, okay, uh, who are they? So he starts doing all these different rituals and rites to all these gods. And finally the God uh, reveals himself to him. It's the God of Horus, an ancient Egyptian God, basically a demonic voice. And he says that I'm calling to you. So they said, well, where are they? Who are they? So they go to uh, a museum in Cairo that shows who all these ancient gods are. They go in there and they find a display of Horus. And lo and behold... Lo and behold, would you believe it? The number 
On the display for Horace's display in that museum was number 666. And he looked at that and he said, well, that's the mark of the beast from Scripture. So he believed he was a type of Antichrist to help bring in the age of the Antichrist, to help be a prophet of the Antichrist, to help do this. So he goes back to his, his uh, motel and he begins to cry out and doing all these rites and all these rituals to the God of Horus. Well, he sends his, uh, sends his messenger to him, supposedly, and for three days he hears a voice speaking to him, and in a three-day time period he writes a book called The Book of the Law. Thelema. And this is the one law. Do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt. Isn't that the same thing that was said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in not so many words? Did God really say, don't you want to be like God? God just doesn't want you to be like Him. Do what you want. Do what you want. And that has worked its way into the church so much, so much that 49% don't see anything wrong with living together. Do what you want. God's merciful. He's loving. He's forgiving. Go ahead. Do it. Just do whatever you want. Why do you think Satan would press so hard to get that lie into our culture? If you have a pen and a paper, write something down for me quickly. And we're going to close this service out. I know it's getting late. Over the next several weeks, we're going to hit topics and we're going to discuss them only from what the Word of God says and we're going to expose the worldview of our culture. And some of you are going to be offended. Some of you are going to have to be left with a decision. Am I going to be deceived and continue on this path or am I going to turn around? I want you to go to YouTube, youtube.com, in the search engine. I want you to put in there, do what you want, question mark, and then after it, exposing Satanism in society. I've not seen all three of these. It's, three, it's a running documentary. It's three videos. You're going to see some things that are, that are frightening and shocking. But it's going to drive home what I'm telling to you right now about the message of the enemy to tell you and your children just to do whatever you want. That God's merciful. It doesn't really matter. You're going to see how ingrained it is in society, even to the point of your children's movies singing, follow your heart, girl. Follow your heart. When somebody tries to tell you what to do, you know what to do. Follow your heart. Don't listen to them. Over and over and over. My friends, the Word of God makes very clear that your heart is deceitful. There's got to be a standard because there's a way that seems right to a man and the end leads to death. You stand with me this morning. You bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Father God, I just preached this message. God, I know I had to leave some of it out, but I just trust you to do your work with it. I trust you, Lord, to do your will with all of it. Lord, that we would grasp in our hearts that there's an enemy that would love for us to continue deceived. That there's an enemy that would love for us to build our house on sand, our faith and our religion and our, our spirituality on things that shift and move and change from generation to generation. 
And God, even now there's questions in people's hearts and minds with different passages that say, well, Pastor Bob, then what about this and what about that? God, I pray that you would take that momentum and you would create a stirring, you would create a hunger for truth in their lives. Because God, I love these people. And I love the people that are outside of this church that need to hear truth and they need to see it in the lives of the people that are inside this church. God, I pray for strength for our people to be like Josiah was in his day, to be able to go out and to do the hard things regardless if it seemed popular or unpopular, Lord. I pray that you would help fathers to rise up and to do the right thing. That you'd help mothers to rise up and do the right things. We surrender to you. 